Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode 15 of Sword and Spirit, a podcast by First Baptist Church of Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. Today, we're going to be doing something just a little bit different. We are excited to have Allison Frazier and Lacey Pierce hosting this week's episode titled Biblical Womanhood. So without further ado, I'll turn it over to the ladies. Hi, I'm Allison Frazier, and I just want to introduce myself. I'm here with Lacey. I want to tell you a little bit about me. Um, I'm married to Brett Frazier, who's the pastor here at First Baptist Church Bay St. Louis. I am a wife and a mom of four kids. We have Graham, Adeline, Ava, and Hudson, and it's a pretty busy life. And my name is Lacey, as she mentioned, Pierce, and my husband is the student and discipleship pastor here, and I am the children's director. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about biblical womanhood. So for some people, that can seem a little bit intimidating to talk about or try to uh, describe what that is, but I'm going to ask Lacey, what does biblical womanhood even mean? So, biblical womanhood means we're looking at the Bible to see the roles that a woman should be playing and how a woman should live. So, we're not going to use cultural or secular arguments because they don't really matter in a topic such as biblical womanhood. So, Scripture is going to be our basis for this conversation today. Awesome. Are there different views on biblical womanhood? Absolutely. There are two main views. I'm sure there's all kind of views, but when you look at the views of biblical womanhood, there are two main ones. The first one is the egalitarian view, and this view hinges mostly on one verse that is taken out of context, which is Galatians 3.28, which says, There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In this verse, it isn't referring to the fact that we can do whatever we want. It means that we're equal in value and we can all be saved because we're all equally loved by Christ. However, we still have different roles to play. So the complementarian view, which is my personal view, um, instead of using one verse to defend their view, they use the whole counsel of the Lord in His Word. And so this view says that God has created man and woman equally in their worth and standing but he has given them different roles in their relationship to one another. So Genesis one twenty seven is a great verse if you want to read that for us, Allison. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Yes, and in the next chapter, he gives us roles. And so in Genesis chapter 2.15, we see the male's role. In Genesis 2.18, we see the female's role. So Genesis 2.15 says, Then the Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. In verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Yes, so we see the man working the land and the woman being a helper. So I think this is a good time to say this. In our culture, sometimes... The women seem to struggle with, oh, well, I'm just a helper or, you know, why don't I get to be in charge? It seems like. Um, But one thing we wanted to point out today was 
in the New Testament, God promises that he will send the helper and we are given the helper is the Holy Spirit. And so when you look at the roles, I think the enemy tries to make us uh, not satisfied with the role that God has given us. And so the enemy starts you know, trying to deceive us and trick us into that's not a good enough role. But when you look at, you know, the, the roles that God has, you know, it's God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that helper that helps us daily, um, those believers. And He he sends us Himself to, to dwell in us, to help us every day. And so when we have this role of the helper to help our husbands or to help the man, it's really a privilege that we get to partake in who Christ is and who, who God is um, by being a helper. So what does biblical womanhood look like in a perfect world? Well, that is a great question. And some of you are probably thinking that it doesn't matter because we don't live in a perfect world. However, there is one woman who did, and that story is in the Bible. So we can look at the Bible to see what it was like to be a woman in a perfect world. And so first we see in Genesis that we see the created order. And what the created order means is simply that God created man, and then he created women for, from man. But we are both image bearers, as Allison read earlier in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. But then in Genesis 2, 7 through 25, we see that God is a skillful designer. He made us his masterpiece, both of us, men and women. And when God was creating the world, the world, the Hebrew word used is bara, which means he made something out of nothing, which is amazing. But when he made you humans, the Hebrew word is bana, which means fashioned. It depicts the personal involvement of God in your creation because you are his masterpiece and he loves you. So whether you are male or female, Isaiah 64, 8 says that we are the clay and he is the potter. So he cares about you, whether you are a woman or a man. And in Genesis chapter 2, it says that God created woman to be Adam's helpmate, as Allison just talked about. And this was before Genesis 3 when sin entered the world. So we were created to be man's helpmate when the world was perfect. One commentary puts it like this, that the woman was made out of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved." So in this Adam was a figure of him that was to come, for out of the side of Christ, the second Adam, his spouse, the church, was formed. His side was open, and out came the blood to purchase the church, and water to purify it to himself. So this does not mean that women are property of men, or that men get to control us. That is not what it means when we say that we are a helpmate. But the Bible also says in Genesis 1.27 that we don't get to choose if we're a woman or not. So I know that's big in culture right now that if I don't want to be a woman and I don't want to be a helpmate, then I can just decide I want to be the man and be the ruler. But we don't get that choice because Genesis 1.27 says that God made humans either male or female. And I think God knows better than we do. So if he created us a woman, I think we need to be a woman. So also, when you find out if someone's pregnant, the first thing most people want to know is whether it's a girl or boy. 
So though we are equal, we are very different. And God created us that way on purpose. He needs both male and female to accomplish his mission. So what was our role as women before sin entered the world? So the first command we see in the Bible before sin entered the world is actually a shared responsibility. So something God wanted the men and women to do. And it's found in Genesis 1.28. If you want to read that for us, Allison. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Thank you. So God wanted them to rule and multiply together. So this is a job they wanted to do together. And just a little side note, one of those jobs was to take care of the earth. So we as Christians, whether we're male or female, should be leading the cause of taking care of the earth. So if you see trash on the ground, pick it up and just help God's creation look a little cleaner and prettier. But I also want to say that a man, this podcast is not an excuse for a man to be lazy, sit in front of the TV and not help his wife with daily maintenance of the home or discipline of the children. I'm pretty sure moms need your helps, dads. I'm not a mom yet, but I'm sure Allison can (laughs) say that she definitely needs help from dad sometimes. But second of all, it's also, before I get into this, it's not a sin for a woman, a woman to work outside of the home. We see this with the Proverbs 31 woman. She goes to the market and sells things to help take care of her family. But the Bible is clear that a woman has the primary role of taking care of their home and family. And this pursuit may include working outside of the home. However, a woman must be careful to make sure that work doesn't come at the expense of her first priority, which is her family and home. So some people are stay-at-home moms and some aren't, and I think either of those are fine as long as they are both taking care of their family first. Also, a man is not superior to a woman, and a woman's not superior to a man. Like we saw in Galatians, we are all equal. Galatians 3.28 says that. So our human nature is normally bent toward becoming defensive if we don't agree or understand with something. And that may happen a lot during this podcast. So I just want you to pray before we continue and just have an open heart and um, open mind because everything we're saying is coming from Scripture. If you don't believe me, just read Genesis 2, 7 through 25, and then chapter 3. All this is in a perfect world before sin enters. So in a perfect world, we are still a helpmate. It's not because sin entered the world. I think uh, just personally sharing, anytime an opportunity presents itself to me, I really have to consider, you know, does this work well with our family schedule? Does this, is this going to glorify the Lord? Is this going to help my kids, you know, grow in a certain area? Or is this going to take away their mommy, you know, from the time that I could be spending with them. And I think in each situation, each opportunity, we just have to take it to the Lord and ask him, is this something you want me to do? Is this going to bring you glory? Or is this going to distract me from the main mission, which is to help my husband and to help my children walk with the Lord and um, create a home and an environment that uh, not just brings God glory, but also 
teaches my kids how to walk with Jesus and how to love on others. So if, you know, if an opportunity comes that it doesn't line up with those things, then as much as I might want it, I'm just going to, you know, have to, to lay it down and, and maybe again, it'll, you know, come back up, but, um, it can be hard. You know, I'm not going to say that it's easy to follow Jesus because sometimes it requires sacrifice. And I think we see that in Jesus's life. You know, he himself, he died on the cross for us so that we could have salvation. And so there is a, a part of being a wife and a mom that is sacrificial. And, um, but it's, you know, once again, it's so much uh, greater to 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 be like Jesus and to you know have his attributes than to walk in the world's ways. Yeah, and it's only after us women were created did God say it was very good. So when it was just man, he said he needs someone else, and then he created us, and then he said it was good. <laughs> it's it's neat just how much. Uh, the man and the woman compliment each other so much. I mean, the Lord knew what he was doing when he created us, mm-hmm. but it's such a sweet partnership. So what does this look like now since we live in a sinful world? So in Genesis chapter three, we see sin entering the world. So we're not going to read that, but if you want to pause this and go read it yourself or write it down and read it after, it'll be very helpful. But we see sin entering the world because the woman was deceived. So when God gave the command not to eat of the certain tree, Adam was the only one there. So he had to teach Eve what God said. So this shows that men need to be the spiritual leader in the family. And Adam was also there when Satan was twisting God's word, and he didn't stop Eve. So Adam sinned, too, by failing not to be the spiritual leader. So God comes looking for them, and then we see a blame game of, oh, the woman made me do it. Oh, the serpent made me do it. And a lot of people believe that this is where gender roles are defined. But this is actually not where gender roles are defined. As we've already seen, before sin entered the world, they were already defined. Instead, this is where the same roles already given become harder due to sin. So Adam was already given work, but now he has to put sweat and work into it. Women are already told to be fruitful and multiply, but now bearing children will be painful. So God did not give gender roles due to the fall. They already existed in the perfect world he first created. So he is just reiterating the command he has already given and telling them the consequences. So what now? How do we live as a biblical woman in a sinful world? So first I'm going to talk about marriage, but if you aren't married, I don't want you to tune me out because this can help you wait for God's best. And it can also help you if you're a single woman, just it helps to know God's word in case you're ever friends and keeping a married person accountable, you can point them to what scripture says about it. So um, we're going to look at Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. So if you want to read that for us, Allison. Ephesians 5, 22 says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave 
himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Thank you. And Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 25 says something really similar, so if you want to pause and go read that or write that down for later too, you can. But um, you've probably heard these passages a ton, but the important thing here is the context. Paul is writing from prison in Rome, and he wrote both of these books around the same time, probably most scholars believe AD 60. And there are many themes in these books, but the roles of men and women are a main theme here. But the main theme of both of the books are that Jesus should be in control of every aspect of life, parenting, spouse relationships, all of that. So both passages follow Paul telling the people how Christians should act and relate in the world. So then he tells how each relationship specifically should relate. So marriage, parent, children, employers, employees. And it is very important to remember that Paul is speaking to Christians In Paul's day, women were not respected nor seen as having equal value with men. So men were allowed to be harsh with their wives, and they could even divorce their wives for no reason. They didn't even have to have a cause. So women were often left without money and protection, so they were often seen as outcasts. The fact that Paul addressed both women and men in these passages, it was unheard of. It showed that God's love was true for even women and the fact that he was calling men to love women as christ loved the church was outrageous it is as if he was fighting for women's rights in that day people tend to ignore this fact and go straight to the word submit and throw a fit but submission is not a four-letter word and it certainly does not mean that men can walk all over women it means to be respectful and come under your husband's leadership and authority as the head of your family So the context is key. The Greek word for submission here in this passage is hupotasso, which means to place or arrange under or to submit one's control, to yield to one's admonition or advice. It does not mean forced submission or abuse. One commentary says it best is understood as a military term used to describe a private who voluntarily comes under the authority of his super superior officer so the husband is giving commands in this passage as well and we need both parties to follow their commands in order for this to work as god has designed however when one person fails that does not give the other person excuse to abandon his or her calling as well the only time you are to not submit to your husband is if he is asking something unbiblical Other than that, we should follow our command and pray to God that if our husband is not, that he will begin to do that. 
And I've only been married since May, so seven to eight months. But Allison can probably speak more about that subject. So the one thing I love when I, when I think about submission is that Jesus, or God, you know, He's the same. He doesn't ask us to do anything that He Himself hasn't done already. And so when you look at the life of Jesus, He submitted Himself, and He submitted Himself to die on the cross. And so... I can't think of a greater example than the, his submission to his father um, to die on the cross for our sin. So when he commands me to submit to my husband, I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, I've heard many women uh, mad about the idea of submission or how um, how do you even like want to do that? Or why would you want to do that? But when I look at the Bible and I look at scripture and I, I look at who Jesus is and he gives an example of it, then it makes me like, I don't cringe when I hear the word submit. Um, now I would be lying if I said it's always easy, um, maybe to, um, hear the word. No, like it's, it's not, but there's been many times where I wanted to do something and my husband thought maybe that wasn't the best idea and I would say okay and, and I would think about it and I'd pray about it. And there's even been times where I've, you know, prayed and then maybe like a week later it'll, time will go by and Brett will come to me and say, hey, actually, I, let's do that, you know. And I didn't have to twist his arm or throw a fit or, you know, all I did was pray. All I did was give it time. And so um, submission... Uh, I think it has just a, a bad rep, you know, um, but I think that it is, you know, my honor to just to to give the world a, a good picture of that. And I was telling Lacey earlier, I wonder how many of us have seen godly examples of submission in our homes. So when I look at my parents, my mom and dad, my mom, um, she gave a great picture of submission where if my dad, I mean, basically my dad just had the final say so and they would discuss things privately. But if we were together, my mom would never go against what my dad uh, would, would say. And maybe privately she might go to him and say, well, I didn't really like that or I didn't agree with that. But if we, if we were there, you know, their children in front, she would just go along, you know, just follow suit with whatever my dad uh, thought was best at the time. So I loved that example. Yeah, and as Allison just pointed out, the more important thing, the reason we are called to submit is because marriage is a picture of Christ and His church. And it's as a wife submitting to her husband, she is representing and modeling to a spiritually lost person how they are to come to God. So we don't submit for our sinful husbands, even though we love them. We submit for Jesus. And we this is why we don't abandon our calling if our husband isn't doing his part. We still do our part because we're doing it for the Lord. And that's something we should never abandon. So I think when God created us, He knew better than we did. And He made men and women very different. As Allison said, we complement each other, and that's awesome. And... Um, one of the ways you see that is if you ask a woman what her greatest need is, it's probably going to be something along the lines of feeling wanted and loved. And that is why God commanded men to love their wives as Christ loved the church. But if you ask a man 
what their greatest want is, it's normally along the line of feeling respected and needed, which is why God commanded women to submit to their husbands. It's because He knew the role of male and female better than anyone else, because He is our creator and sustainer. And that is why He gave us these roles, so that our marriages would be stronger, because we know how to give each other what we really need. So thankfully, we don't have to guess what biblical womanhood is or what God wants us to do because he tells us. Proverbs 31 is a whole chapter devoted to women that we're not going to read. But if you want to write it down or pause and read it, that would be awesome. And also Titus 2. And so we're going to go through a list of characteristics found in Titus 2 that women should have. And so Allison's going to read that for us. It's Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. This is probably one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible of all time. So Titus 2, 3 through 5 says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Yes, so we see that older women, and this doesn't specifically necessarily mean age, but older women spiritually are to take younger women spiritually, so they may actually be older than you, but they may be new Christians. And so you take the men, and there's a whole list of qualifications listed for women here. And the first one is reverent in behavior. And so reverent reverent godly behavior is what we're looking at here so what does that look like in our daily lives Allison so I think one of those things would just be a daily quiet time to have reverence for the Lord and uh, allowing even our kids to see us having that time is I think a very healthy thing even though it is private our kids need to see us in the word and if you don't have kids, you know, then just just being with the Lord, um, having your Bible, letting it be evident that you're spending time with Him to the to your spouse. Yeah, and we want to let that overflow in our lives. We want to be humble. No one likes to be around people who think they're better than everyone else. And so, as women, we should be reverent. We should be in the Word. We should be humble. And the second characteristic listed in this passage is. Don't gossip or slander others. So this is a hard one. So, Allison, how do you keep from falling into this temptation? So, I think um, it's a lot of things can help you um, avoid gossip. You know, one is hanging out with people who don't gossip. But we also need to be around the world. And so it, it's it's going to be very visible when you take a stand to not gossip uh, just not too long ago, I was at the park and some women were talking about things and I just had to be silent. And I think silence is one of the biggest ways that you cannot gossip. And I, I think it's noticeable. Maybe not always. Someone might not notice. But over time, the more that you're with that person and the more silence happens when gossip is um, starting or going on, I, those women are going to notice. Definitely. The third characteristic we see is not addictive or enslaved to substances. So what do you think about that, Allison? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I would think I've heard it said that some people have more addictive personalities than others. But nonetheless, um, 
you're not going to become addicted to something that you didn't try, you know, haven't tried. So number one, I would just say totally stay away from all drugs and alcohol Mm -hmm. because you don't know if you're going to be addicted to it or not until you take the first uh, of it. And so uh, it says don't be enslaved to much wine, but uh, why let, you know, even such foothold be in our lives? Uh, So I don't even give the enemy a chance to put wine as a stumbling block. Um, in my life, I just, I don't drink alcohol at all. Um, and so that way, those things can't enslave me. It can't take hold of my um, of my life. Yeah, because the only thing we should be filling ourselves with is the Spirit and God's Word. <laughs> so if it isn't Jesus, let's just get rid of it. <laughs> Sounds good. So the fourth characteristic is able to teach. And this doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be able to be in front of a classroom at a chalkboard. It just simply means that you need to be able to be an example for a woman who is set apart so that others can follow your teaching, whether that's with words or by the way you live. So uh, what do you think about that? Yes. So um, I I do have an elementary education degree, and so um, maybe sometimes I have a little bit more training to teach, but... I'm not always the best teacher for little ones. Um, I like teaching older uh, girls. and um, But I still have to teach my kids. And so um, to be able to teach, I think you just have to know the word and you have to know what is right. And if you know that, you can lead by example, even if you're not, per se, a teacher. Um, the example that you live your life is teaching to others um, how to live. Yeah. So the fifth quality we see is self-controlled. So what's your advice about that? Um, Self-control. Probably to try to stay calm. Um, When I'm speaking to my children, I try to speak in a calmer tone so that my volume, if my volume gets louder, normally um, sometimes the harshness will get louder. And so... I know when we've had just a rough day, I just try to speak almost in a whisper because if I'm trying to speak in a whisper, it will just be a normal <laughs> speaking voice <laughs> because there's a lot of us running around in the house and so uh, a lot of kids running around and so they feed off of me. Somebody has said before, um, the woman sets the tone of the home and I totally agree with that. So I've noticed, you know, when my tone Whatever my tone is will be the rest of the home's tone. Um, So to be self-controlled, I think just to speak kindly and to have patience. Definitely. And I think this year is a great year for Christians to show the love of Jesus by being self-controlled, especially on social media right now with everything happening. If we aren't self-controlled, we don't look any different than the world. But if we are self-controlled, especially right now, people notice that. And they're mm-hmm. like, why aren't you going crazy like everybody else? And we can say, well, because Jesus. Right. So, the sixth quality is pure, which does have to do with sexual purity, but also has to do with our physical and emotional self and all of that and just staying true to the words. So being pure is the sixth one. Um, any tips on that, Allison? I'd say uh, this is most applicable probably in just the things that you wear or the things that you buy. Um, Our culture is not the purest culture. And so you really have to hunt for pieces that are um, 
appropriate to wear. And so uh, when in doubt, just don't. (laughs) And um, oh, goodness, there's so many things I could say. Not to hurt anyone's feelings, but yeah, you just want to um, to be careful uh, to not make somebody you know stumble, and uh, to use wise discretion. Yes. Um, yeah. So our seventh quality is workers at home, and so the art of homemaking is kind of a lost talent here in America, but it's so vital to the growth and nurture of families, which right now it's just me and my husband, but since you have four kids, um, you can probably speak more into what that means. Yeah, so um, I think the main focus for a mom is to just make sure her home is taken care of. So when you think about that, Sometimes my immediate reaction is you think about the housework, the laundry, the dishes, uh, ironing, I don't know, just cleaning and all those things. But honestly, the home is so much more than just the housework. It's the people that are in it. And Mm -hmm. so you have your husband, you have your kids, you may even have some other family member living in the house with you. Um, But we want it to be a nurturing, welcoming place where... The family thrives. And so that probably means having the dining room table cleared off the laundry so that you can eat dinner together at it, (laughs) even though it's a struggle. Just put the laundry in a basket and toss it to the side until dinner's over or whatever that might be. Um, But really, like, trying to make our home the place where the people want to be who live there. Um, I've really tried um, more this year to put more effort into meal planning so that we have, you know, healthy meals or tasty meals. Um, And then also, I don't know that I do the best job at it, but like getting my kids to help. So we think, oh, I have to fold all this laundry. No, but I'm in charge of getting it folded and put away. And so I have four kids who can help put that laundry away and some of them can help fold. So I'm not just doing it all by myself. So, um, we all work together to get that laundry folded and put away. And so, um, that's just one example, but yeah, it, it's an everyday, an everyday affair here, uh, trying to get all the things done to, um, in a day. Yeah. So our eighth quality is kind hearted. What do you think about that one? Um, the only way our hearts can be kind is if they're filled with Jesus. And so yes. uh, my kids are still little and they're working on uh, following Jesus. So uh, trying to turn their hearts to Jesus is huge. Um, and I want them to see my heart, that Jesus is in it and that that's attractive to them. So the way I'm presenting my heart is um, a big deal. I really I want them to see the Lord in it and to be drawn to it in the kindness that I have so that they can um, copy that through um, having Jesus in their heart. Yeah, and that's actually one of the fruits of the Spirit. So um, that's a big one found in Galatians chapter 5. So our last quality we've already talked about a lot, so I'm just going to mention it, but it's submission to your husband. Mm -hmm. So um, let's go on to the next question. Okay. So the next question is, what about all the really hard to interpret passages in scripture about biblical womanhood. Can we talk about those? Sure. So 
I have three main ones that we're going to talk about. And the important thing to remember here is that context is always key. If you want to find something in the Bible that backs up what you believe, you probably can if you just pick and choose and take things out of context. But context is key when trying to figure out what a passage means. So the first one we're going to look at is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 33 through 35. You can pause and look it up or write it down and read it later. But basically, this passage talks about what, upon first glance, looks like speechless submission. Really, God? Are we supposed to not talk and submit at church and never say a word? But if we look at the context in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, Paul gives a list of spiritual gifts that both women and men have. He also uses the body as an illustration for the church and says that every part of the body is needed, including women. In chapter 13, he tells people that all these gifts are useless unless they exercise them with love. And in chapter 14, he gives regulations on how to use those gifts. So Paul is writing to a specific church where the services have kind of gotten crazy. So the church sent Paul a list of questions. Now, we don't have the list of questions, but we have his answers. We can kind of guess what the questions were in some parts, but we really have no idea. So in the services, everyone was speaking over each other. So he told them they had to limit speaking in tongues. They had to only speak in tongues if there was a translator, and he said that women should be silent. In chapter 15, he answers the church's questions about the resurrection of Christ. So his response was to specific questions for a specific church. And so if you look at the specific context, the church was facing disorder, and Paul addresses the disorder by giving the church guidelines. It would be sort of like going to a Baptist business meeting today where it kind of got out of hand. So the pastor suggests that only the husband speaks so that we can get everything worked out and go home. It doesn't mean that women can't speak at the church at all. In fact, he says in chapter 11, verse 5, that women can speak and pray in the church. So why would he go against himself twice? So in reality, this passage fits with the whole of Scripture if you look at context. Women have a place in the church, they're needed, and they can speak. But however, it's you see that he kind of reiterates that males are the headship and leaders. So when there's chaos, they kind of take over and help calm that down. Yeah. The second passage is found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. So if you want to pause and read that or write it down and read it later. Um, this passage is also written by Paul, but it's a letter written to Timothy. And he's trying to encourage Timothy and give him guidance on how to lead a church. So in chapter 1, Paul warns Timothy about false teachers, and he encourages him to remember the one true gospel. And then in chapter 2, he begins to give Timothy instructions for certain people in the church. He instructs both men and women in this chapter, and he ends talking about Adam and Eve. Then in chapter 3, he addresses the offices of the church, such as deacons and overseers and their wives. And he talks about Christian and Christian leaders and how they should behave. And then in chapter 4, he goes back to talking about false teachings. So um, some people believe that this is also spoken to a specific church and that we shouldn't apply this. However, 
I do not believe that. I believe that these are clear command from Scripture because in chapter 3 we see the qualifications for deacons, which most churches use, including ours. So they look at the qualifications for deacons in this church. So why wouldn't we look at chapter 2 as a clear command as Scripture as well? So I think that we see women are important in this book, we see that Timothy's faith comes from his mother and grandmother. So we see that women can definitely teach children because Timothy's mom and grandmother did. And um, we also see that this is written to the church. So this is not for workplaces. So if a woman wants to be a CEO or teach a college class or do something in the secular world, that's great as long as she's doing it all for the glory of the Lord and isn't neglecting her other God-given job to take care of her family and home. But this command from God for us women in this passage is clear. It's to dress modestly, not be obsessed or focused with their outward appearance, to be good stewards of our body, which is the temple of God, which doesn't mean we can't dress cute. It just means we don't want to cause the focus to be on us. So expose things that shouldn't be exposed, things like that. We need to stay covered. And we are to be meek and help others keep their focus on Christ instead. And so he also teaches that women are to have restricted leadership in the church, which is where things get controversial. But let me tell you this. If God calls you into ministry, he's going to give you a place to serve. You do not have to fight for a place to use your gifts. There are plenty of women and children in church who need leaders. So this passage also, it fits in the harmony of the rest of Scripture, where God calls men to be the head and leader, especially spiritually. And in 1 Corinthians eleven five, he gives women the right to speak at church and to pray. And the term quiet in this passage, if you look at it in the original language, it doesn't mean an absence of words. Instead, Paul is referring to a woman's attitude and demeanor of quietness. So how can we learn if we don't stay quiet long enough to hear the teaching from the man God has placed in the head of our church and in our lives? So God gives us plenty of opportunities to lead and teach the children and women he has brought to our churches. And at the end, this is another way I know that it's a clear command for all churches and not this specific church. He ends with his reasoning being the created order, which is what we talked about at the beginning, about how man was created and then women. And that applies to all of us, not just that specific church. So this passage shows that men are the spiritual leaders of both the home and the church, which makes sense because he uses family as an illustration for the church. We are the family of God. And so if the man is the head of our family, then he's also the head of the family of God which ultimately Christ is the head of the church. But So a woman is to learn with a teachable and quiet spirit, and she can teach children and women in the church, but she is commanded in this passage not to teach men. So I think Allison has some more to add to this. Yes, so if you look at 1 Timothy 2, verse 12, it says, But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. So this is where I think the controversy is, and Scripture clearly states that a woman should not be teaching or preaching over a man. And so it's very trendy in our culture today to have this co-pastor and the woman and the man, they pastor together because, you know, we're so equal and we should have equalness and equality and 
and so our culture is caved in to this idea, but God and and his design did not design the woman to be over the man. And so I'm a I mean, I am a woman. I am saying this like there's no way I'm going to teach a man or preach at men because it is not my place. And and scripture clearly tells us here that a woman is not supposed to be shepherding over the men or the flock of the church that are men. Um, so, yes, they can teach to women. Yes, they can teach to children. But, uh, you, you, you know, we see this trend now, too, with our um, certain speakers that are in the spotlight that these women will start speaking to men also. And it's just it's an unbiblical view. And so we need to know what Scripture says and we need to know that that's not okay. And especially when we're looking at what church we're supposed to be a part of, we need to be a part of a church that follows biblical guidelines. And so I just want to, um, you know, for people to be aware that there is a trend and that um, women have fallen into the trap. I think that Satan wants us to believe where you need more clout or you need more esteem. And so you should be able to speak to everyone um, because, I mean, it's 2020, 2021. And um, but it's just a lie. Yeah. And like we said, this is for the church. So if you're a woman speaking at an event for your business, we're not against that. That's fine. But also, I just want to say this. A man is called to be the head of the family and church. But if there isn't a man, I believe that there are some exceptions to the rule. But remember that there are exceptions, not the rule. For example, if you're a single mother, I think that God is with you and he gives you the power to be the head of your family when there's not a man. And if you're a missionary amongst an unreached people group where there's no man that believes in Jesus to head the church, I believe that God will give you the power through the Holy Spirit to finish the work he has started in you. And we see this sometimes in scripture when there was no man to step up and lead, God used a woman. But it's not the rule, it's the exception. So I think we desperately need to pray that God raises up godly men because his plan is still for them to lead. And then the last scripture that is kind of crazy if you read it without context is 1 Corinthians 11 verses 2 through 16. So you can pause and look that up or write it down and read it later. But um, after reading this passage, some people wonder, why aren't we women wearing head coverings to church? (laughs) I mean, uh, it's crazy, right? And some People still do. The Mennonites, the women still wear head coverings, but most evangelical churches do not. So why is this? Well, this is from the same book where Paul is answering questions from the church, that we don't have the questions, we just have his answers. And that church was full of chaos and disorder. And in chapter 8, Paul addresses food being sacrificed to idols. In chapter 9, he explains the rights he has as an apostle of Christ. And in chapter 10, he talks about adultery again. And then we come to chapter 11, where he talks about head coverings and the Lord's Supper. So the question is, should women be wearing head coverings? Well, if you study the context, head coverings in Corinth in this day were much different than head coverings today. They symbolized... Well, first of all, they were probably not a full veil, but more of a shawl. 
Second, they distinguished when from women from men. So back then, everyone wore long robes. And so the way you could tell it was a woman is because of their head covering. Today, obviously, women and men wear totally different clothes. And so you can tell who a woman and a man is, which is one reason why you shouldn't cross-dress and you should stay in your gender. But um, <laughs> anyways, so since their clothing was the same, the head covering was a symbol of a, whim, a woman's submission to her husband. It was a way to show her society that she was married and that she respected her husband. So if a woman wore her hair down and loose that day, it was likely that she was a prostitute. So if we take the principle, so there's two options when you read scripture. You can either take it literal and do what they do, but if we do that here, we lose the principle. So the other option is to take the principle and apply it to your context today. So if we do that, it doesn't look like us wearing head coverings today. So um, it looks more like us dressing modestly like a female if you're a woman and wearing your wedding ring to show people that you're married. Mm -hmm. And so this is why we don't wear head coverings today, because it doesn't mean the same thing it did back then. But also, I think the reason that he uses this term in the passage is because he's emphasizing a theme of submission in this passage. We see the word head multiple times. He says, but I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of every woman and God is the head of Christ. So I think he was also using this to reiterate the theme of authority and submission because that's what a head covering meant back then was submission to her husband. But in today's context, that looks different than wearing a head covering. It looks like wearing feminine clothes and your wedding ring and respecting your husband in public and that kind of thing. So that's why we don't wear head coverings. Mm -hmm. If you want to, I'm sure no one will tell you you can't walk in church with your head covering. But (laughs) that's why we don't do that anymore. Thanks for clearing up those hard scriptures, Lacey. (laughs) Yeah. So... um, As we get ready to end this podcast, I just want you to know that women are celebrated and are very important all throughout the Bible. No one loves you more than God does. And you can see this with the woman with the blood issue, the Samaritan woman at the well, the sinful woman who washed Jesus' feet, the woman who was caught in adultery and almost stoned, Mary, Jesus' mother, Mary and Martha, the friends of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons cast out of her, Lydia, who was Paul's first convert in Europe, and the list goes on. So I just want to remind you that more than anyone else, God is for us women, and He loves us. So anything else, Allison, before we close? I think that's it. This concludes today's episode of Sword and Spirit. If you like this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button to stay up to date on all of our future content. Also, be sure to check out our website, fbcbsl.org, for more news and information on everything going on in our church. That's all for today. Until next time, bye. Bye.